Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. On this edition of Women Who Lead, you'll meet the woman behind the successful operations at the Capitol Grill, and you'll also get to know one of the top pediatric heart surgeons in the country. We'll get started right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, our first guest is Lisa Banish. She is the Capital Grill Sales and Marketing Manager. And Lisa is one of our 2022 Women Who Lead honorees. Congratulations, Lisa, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Now, Lisa, you have a long and important career in the hospitality business. Tell our listeners a little bit about how and why you got started in hospitality. Well, I actually started um, in high school, just waitressing um, part-time during, uh, you know, after school. And that led to um, working for my first corporation in 1975. and uh, waitressing there and um, making a lot of money. I mean, more than uh, I would have imagined in a waitressing uh, position. And so did that for a bit um, and then got married, had um, children, um, and my um, husband was in the food industry as well. So we had purchased a restaurant uh, we were partnerships in it, and that kind of, you know, solidified my hospitality career. Um, having a restaurant um, for a few years, we um, sold our interest um, and um, purchased another restaurant and kept that for a while. And uh, I was home um, at the time raising children. Um, so, um, I was ready to get back into my career and got a call from uh, a friend of mine that ran uh, Palace Sports and Entertainment and asked me if I wanted to come and help out there part-time. And I said, sure. So did that for a little bit. And then they offered me a management position there at the the Palace. So um, that kind of really was what started it. And ironically, the man that offered me the management position is Tim Wilkins. He's a managing partner now at Capital Grill. So my career came full circle from the first person that offered me my management position. And then now he's he's our managing partner here. So it's it's just ironic how that all came 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 around. And you've been at the Capitol Grill now for 21 years. That's impressive, Lisa. That is a long time. I've done 10 years of operations um, when I first started. Um, I've done uh, that for a while. And then I was offered the sales and marketing position. So that's been my role for the last 11 years is um, doing private dining and partnerships and special events for the restaurant. And Luann, I know you've got some questions for Lisa too. I I do. Lisa, you know, Capitol Grill is one of those organizations that 
we can always rely on for the highest level of customer service and consistency, right? Yes. Any any Capital Grill location, you 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 know, um, you can feel the culture when you walk in. So talk to us a little bit about how you establish that culture that different differentiates, you know, your company from others. Well, we do we do establish the culture by bringing the right people on the bus. And that's people that have hospitality skills. We can always teach them, you know, um, our systems, but they have to have those hospitality skills to really come on board with the restaurant. And once, once they do, you know, there, there is a process of training them and, um, getting them ready um, for their role there. But that's probably the biggest thing is just finding the right people that um, have possessed those, those qualities. Well, we know, we know that finding people and finding great talent has been a struggle for the past <laughs> two years. Um, how, how do you create that loyalty, A, for retention, um, to keep the wonderful employees you have engaged and feel appreciated. But then how do you, how has Capital Grill attracted um, the top talent over the past 24 months? Well, when we had shut down originally, there were 45 just wait staff that were furloughed um, along with the rest of the team. But uh, the wait staff was were all anxious to come back. Um, they do very well from an economic standpoint, and they wanted to get back to working. And I think the biggest thing for anyone that works for Capital Grill is that they're part of the Darden family. And Darden is just an excellent company for anyone who's in the hospitality business to work they they give so much they offer so much for their employees as far as benefits 401 health insurance um and things that are are really unheard of in the industry that really builds that loyalty and that retention so i think from that standpoint a lot of them stay because it, they'd be very hard pressed to find that anywhere else if that's their career. Um, others are there either going through school or maybe transitioning to other careers and that's great for them as well. But I think anyone who has a career in the hospitality business, especially as a server, um, always gravitates toward, uh, toward um, our restaurant. And what, what you got started very early in your lifetime in the hospitality business. What advice would you give to young professionals who are trying to follow in, in your footsteps? I would say do your research on the company that you want to work for and start there. It would really depend on where they're at. I mean, we have a lot of individuals that apply for the restaurant many do not possess the skill set as well as that hospitality piece that's needed to work at a capital grill but we have 
six other brands that we can, you know, put an individual who's just starting out in that are are casual concept brands that don't require that depth of experience that a capital world does. So I would I would say depending on where they're at, I would start with probably one of the casual concepts and then building on that to get to a capital grow. No different than if you were starting your career at the entry level and then building toward, you know, the flagship restaurant, which Capital Grill is considered within the brand. And, you know, Lisa, I want our listeners to know that you're the woman behind the Capital Grill in Troy. And when I visit that restaurant, I feel very welcome. I think it's a great place to go. It's comfortable. The food is spectacular. You're treated wonderfully by the staff. What are some of the things that you talk about in the hospitality business that are must-dos? Well, it's making people feel welcome, absolutely. I remember the first time I stepped into a Capitol Grill, it was it was intimidating. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just to make people feel like they're coming into their own home and that they're comfortable. And even though we want to give them that amazing experience where they feel special, you still want them to feel comfortable when they walk in. And that's the biggest thing, you know, just by reaching out to them right from the start with the valet. And from the valet, it, it transfers right to the to the host team. And from the host team, it will go right to, you know, seating and, and your server and, and the server assistants and, and all the team that creates that experience. And, you know, now that it looks like COVID is starting to subside, how are you doing? How's business? Business has been amazing. Uh, it was interesting when we opened up in June, um, the flood of people <laughs> that called, they were so excited to be going back to a restaurant. It, it was amazing. <laughs> and, um, and it was, uh, it was, it was good to see, um, that people are so loyal to the brand that they want to be there. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it's it's been very good. Um, the holidays were extremely busy. Um, we were very happy uh, to see um, the amount of people that came through our doors. It were probably about close to 4,000 a week that were coming into the restaurant during the month of December, which is it's a lot, a, a lot of uh, a lot of guests. Um, so we've been very happy and we just came off of Valentine's weekend, which was, was very good as well. Um, it was interesting, uh, with the Super Bowl, we, we honestly weren't sure what was going to happen, uh, whether or not, uh, the guys were going to win out and get to stay home and watch, uh, the game. But, um, all in all, it was, uh, it was a huge day, even on Sunday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then on, on Monday, um, it was, uh, we were very happy with uh, the amount of people that we hosted at the restaurant. And, you know, another part of the business that you're involved in is the sales and catering. It's a huge part of your business, and you're also the woman behind that. And you host a lot of um, 
interesting people in that part of the business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. For many years, we have catered to the Detroit Tigers um, clubhouse um, on game day. We don't do every game day, but we did do one game day a week for, gosh, five years now. And that was always exciting. And it was an interesting partnership where uh, we brought the food down to the clubhouse and we gave uh, a team member and their guest an opportunity to bring that down and then attend the game. So uh, that was a lot of fun and met a lot of people through there, the clubhouse manager, as well as, you know, a lot of the players uh, came into the restaurant. Um, We actually hosted um, Miguel Cabrera's Triple Crown um, dinner um, back when uh, Hoop McInerney was uh, still with us and he sponsored that dinner for him. And and that was exciting because all the players were there and and the coaches and um, we do some work as well uh, for, the NBA, uh, we cater to um, Delta Airlines. So when they leave um, Detroit and they're flying home, we do the food on, on the plane uh, for them as well. Um, and that that that's from time to time. Um, so that's kind of exciting too, though I don't get to really see any players. Um, it's kind of nice to know that uh, they've asked for our food because they can really pick from from a list of, of different restaurants. And uh, when they choose us, um, makes me feel good. Absolutely. It sounds like you love what you do. What's the best part of the job? The best part of the job would be the relationship piece. It's meeting all the people, seeing them come back, getting to contribute to special occasions for them. Well, it be birthdays, anniversaries, graduations. That I think is probably the best part of the job. And Lisa, what's what's your proudest career moment? Probably getting this honoree position with WJR as <laughs> as women who lead. I mean, that was <laughs> that was pretty. Um, Surprising, uh, to say the least. So, I mean, um, yeah, I'm very honored I and actually very surprised. So that, that probably is one of the proudest. But um, I don't know. There's just been so many um, instances where, you know, I've, I felt really good about what I did at the restaurant. Um, so... Well, Luann, you know, when I sent Lisa a note and said that she was one of her honorees, she said, are you kidding? That can't possibly be. And I said, well, Lisa Banish, it is absolutely true. You deserve to be one of our 2022 Women Who Lead honorees. So congratulations, Lisa, and thank you for joining us today. I'm really very happy that you consider me in such a fine group of women. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after these messages. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, and we now welcome Dr. Jennifer 
Romano to the show. Dr. Romano is the Herbert Sloan Collegiate Professor of Cardiac Surgery at the University of Michigan Medical School. She specializes in surgery for congenital and pediatric acquired heart disease. Dr. Romano is also one of our 2022 Women Who Lead honorees. Congratulations, Dr. Romano, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be on the show today. I appreciate the invitation. And Lou, I know you've got lots of questions to to kick off this segment with Dr. Romano. I I do, and we've had some, um, not we, Dr. Romano has had um, some amazing news over the past couple weeks, and I wanted to really talk to her about that. She was elected to be the second vice president of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons um, during their 58th annual meeting um, held January 29th and 30th of this year. Um, She will hold the first vice president position in 2023 and become president of this organization in 2024. She's one of the few congenital heart surgeons and the first female to be elected in this honorary position. So we, everyone at CS Mott Children's Hospital is so excited for her for representing us, but we're also so excited for her representing um, female surgeons throughout the world in this prestigious um, announcement. So Dr. Romano, um, talk to us and tell our audience a little bit about what the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is. So the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is the largest organization in the world that represents cardiothoracic surgeons and the patients that we serve. So that means it involves adult cardiac surgeons, adult thoracic surgeons, as well as congenital heart surgeons within the organization. And again, it represents not only the professionals, but also the populations that we serve. There's a significant amount of work that's done at a policy level. um, And we do span across the world with large representation from the United from the United States, Canada, much of Europe, as well as Asia. So you, I, I want to take it back a little bit uh, first. So you are clearly one of our leaders within Michigan Medicine and CS Mott Children's Hospital, and you know there's many many um, employees and other. Uh, physicians who who look up to you and your leadership. Can we go back to talk talk to me about how you even became interested in being a surgeon. Where where did this start? Well, it's interesting that you should ask because it actually started at Mott way back when, as Dr. Bartlett refers to me, I was a co-ed at the University of Michigan. <laughs> um, so actually in my early years, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian and I sought out an opportunity in Dr. Bartlett's ECMO lab because they did large animal-based models. I was really there for the animal experience, but most of the people that were in the lab were there as uh, to get research experience leading up to going to medical school. While I was in the ECMO lab, uh, one of our projects quickly transitioned over to the hospital, and I also would work extra hours basically stocking the ECMO carts in the ICUs. And at that time, that was primarily in the NICU and the PICU. So that was really my first opportunity to be in a hospital setting was in CS Modulars Hospital. When I decided to uh, apply for graduate school, of course, I was thinking vet school. And when I asked Dr. Bartlett for a letter of recommendation, he uh, refused and said he would only write me a letter if I also agreed to go to medical, apply to medical school. 
Um, so he had lots of sage advice and I, uh, listened to him and I applied and I successfully matriculated to Harvard medical school and loved every minute, but always maintained that interest in the pediatric population from my original ECMO experience. Um, it's interesting because Joe Custer, who used to be an attending in the PICU many years ago, who knew me again as an undergrad, also went to Harvard med school. Dr. Bartlett had done his training, his surgical training at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, so there's this little uh, cheerleading team for me early on, um, kind of following my career. And when I, during medical school, decided to go into surgery and return back to the University of Michigan for my training. So you, you know, you have mentored and helped, you know, so, so many young physicians and those that want to become surgeons. What, what advice do you give them? You, you know, you have gone to the top universities for training for undergrad what what advice do you give them and how do you balance your work life and your home life two very different questions yeah um so first of all i mean i think there's kind of three main uh words of advice that i give when i have you know anywhere from high school to undergraduate to medical students um, first is always keep your eyes and ears open and listen to those who have more experience or can see you in a different light. So all along my path, I had people that would reach out to me and say, you really excel in this area. You have a strong aptitude here. And it may not have been an area I was considering, but when somebody would reach out and say, you know, this is really an area where you're excelling, you should really explore it further. I listened and did that. So I initially was going to be a pediatric intensivist, and here I am, a pediatric cardiac surgeon. So the path changed many times because of really wonderful people that mentored me. The next thing that I tell people is to, again, kind of look around you. And if you're in a group of people who are similar minded and are enjoying what you're doing and you're enjoying working with those people, you're probably in the right place. If you're finding that you're kind of always not quite in step with everybody else or you feel like you're a little bit out of place, you probably are and keep looking for you know a better fit. And then the final thing is it really shouldn't be hard. Yes, there's going to be long hours and there's going to be hard work, but it shouldn't be hard. I tell people and they think I'm crazy, but becoming a external heart surgeon was really the path of least resistance for me. It just kind of laid out before me and I continued to follow a path where I was following my skill set and where I was really able to shine. Dr. Romano, you've helped to have the Congenital Heart Center at Michigan Medicine as one of the top in the country. What what are some things that you're most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the group of people I work with. Um, I think anybody in the field of congenital heart surgery knows exactly how special the University of Michigan uh, Mott Children's Hospital Congenital Heart Center is. And I'm so very honored to be part of that group. Um, I remember the first day I met Ed Bove, who I was a general surgery resident looking for a research lab and I was going to work with Dr. Mosco, who's his junior partner at the time. And I went to talk to Dr. Mosca about my research project. And he's like, hey, I have somebody for you to meet. And he took me over and he walked me right into Ed Bovey's office. He's like, hey, Ed, I want you to meet the person who's going to take your job someday. <laughs> and it was just the cutest thing. And from that moment on, uh, Dr. Bovey took me under his wing, has been the most tremendous mentor and sponsor as, and that has continued with Dr. Oye. And they, they trained me, they gave me my career, they gave me my opportunities. It's because of them that I have an opportunity to be the future president of the SCS because they gave me a chance to step up and stand out. Um, but I'm just most proud of 
the overall the Kachala Heart Center, the cardiologists I work with, the care we provide for patients, really that's what brings me the greatest pleasure is just the families and the children we care for and giving them a second chance and giving them hope. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Romano uh, right after these messages. And Dr. Romano, let's talk a little bit about what your day is like when you're dealing with these little ones and they have to go through surgery. So we'll be back right after these messages. Today on Women Who Lead is Dr. Jennifer Romano. She is the Herbert Sloan Collegiate Professor of Cardiac Surgery at the University of Michigan Medical School. She specializes in surgery for congenital and pediatric acquired heart disease. And Dr. Romano, as I was listening to you talk to Luann a little bit about your career and the mentors that you've had in your life, it's really amazing what you do every day, day in and day out. You've got these little ones, and they need heart surgery. What is that like for you on a day-to-day basis? Um, Well, that's a tremendous uh, responsibility. There's many days where I just pause and think of the trust that our families put in myself and in our team to care for their most precious child. I have a seven and nine-year-old, and, you know, it makes it so incredibly real to know what it's like to entrust somebody with your child's life. Hmm. But I think what's so wonderful is children are incredibly resilient. And we take these little kids through some really big operations. And for the majority of our heart defects, these kids will have one major surgery in their life and hopefully no further interventions and can go on to live an otherwise normal, healthy life with a scar on their chest. We certainly have other kids with much more complex heart disease who are facing a multitude of interventions and need for repeated hospitalizations. And it's just so amazing to see their spirit and their resilience. These little kids that two days after surgery, they're, you know, running down the hallway and going to the playroom. Um, What their parents go through to support each other and to support their children is just, it's truly a tremendous gift to be part of that whole process. This might be a stupid question, but I'll ask anyhow. Are a lot of kids born with heart defects in this country? Like how many kids do you see per year? So congenital heart disease is actually the number one birth defect. So about one in 100 kids will be born with some, you know, congenital heart defect. That's Granted, the majority of those are minor and may require absolutely nothing or may require some observation over time. And there's that small subset that are going to require either a catheter-based or surgical intervention, oftentimes within the first year of life. For the patients we see, you know, the majority of our patient population are babies who are born with heart defects that without surgery as a newborn, so within the first couple of weeks of life, they wouldn't survive. Mm -hmm. And what about some of the advances? I mean, you know, it's 2022 and you're talking about doing this surgery and then these kids being able to, you know, run down the hall and go off and play for a while. That's amazing. So talk a little bit about the advances. Congenital heart surgery is really what brought cardiac surgery on the map to begin with. Initially, it was doing palliative procedures for patients with congenital heart defects called Tetralogy of Fallot back in the 40s, 1940s. And really all we had to offer them were just that, 
palliations, ways to help them live longer with the heart defect they had. And over the ensuing 80 years, the advances in technology in terms of ICU care, cardiopulmonary bypass technology, and being able to now do interventions on babies who are premature, who are less than you know two kilograms. We have hybrid procedures now where I lead that program at the University of Michigan with Dr. Jeff Zampi, where we're able to do procedures on some of our highest risk patients that allow them to get bigger and older so they can actually withstand the heart operation that they need using catheter-based and surgical approaches. So there's been tremendous strides also in terms of assist devices, mechanical devices to support the heart for children whose hearts are failing and awaiting transplant. It's really tremendous growth across the field that has really changed what we can offer these patients, both in the short and in the long term. It's just really extraordinary. So on a daily basis, at the end of the day, as you leave your work, what are some of the really wonderful things that have occurred for you that make all of this worthwhile? It, again, it gets back to the patients and the families. You know, it's when I have scattered throughout my office all sorts of little gifts or tokens from patients. Okay. I have one little girl who, you know, she loves Petoskey rocks, and every year she sends me some new polished Petoskey rock, and it's just the sweetest thing from this little girl who I have really, I have a very brief interaction in overall the lives of these children. You know, I may spend four hours fixing their heart and they have another 80 years of life, but it's a meaningful four hours. And so it's so sweet when you get these notes or when a family reaches out or just, you know, thankfully now as the pandemic goes away, hopefully we can start hugging again. <laughs> um, but you know, when for families, you know, when you come back and you're like, yep, the heart's fixed, went great. They're taking the breathing tube out, should be up in the ICU in the next couple of hours. You can only imagine what the feeling is for a parent to finally exhale and say, they're fixed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just that simple, you know, they, the most commonly asked question is, you know, I don't know how to thank you. And I'm going to just take them home and love them and grow them. Send me a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> how challenging was the work during the pandemic, Dr. Romano? Uh, it is. It it was incredibly challenging and continues to be incredibly challenging. I think in every phase of the pandemic, we've been faced with a different challenge. In the beginning, it was literally the fear of just walking into the building. Were you going to get sick? Were you going to take something home to your family? What was going? There was so much uncertainty. But you know, everybody was all hands on deck and. But also we've lost that ability to really support each other in a way that we used to be able to. We were all at a distance from each other. You couldn't touch each other. You couldn't give somebody a hug or put your hand on their back for support. Um, and, you know, for, you know, we worked our way through that. And with vaccinations, you know, there's more comfort and we're able to be, you know, in group settings to some degree again, which is so helpful to just see each other's faces and not live on Zoom. Uh, but now we're facing the next challenge of staffing shortages. So before we couldn't do operations just because we had a skeleton crew because all the healthcare providers were taking care of patients with COVID. Now we've gotten past that with vaccinations, but now we've got staffing shortages where we can only do so many cases because we have only so many beds and nurses available. And so it's, I'm hoping that, you know, as we continue to move forward, the challenges will get less and less, but it has been incredible to watch how the entire organization has continued to pivot, but we've still been able to get the operations done that we need to get done, but every day is a new challenge. 
Well, take the opportunity here, Dr. Romano, to maybe convince a few people in our listening audience to think about this career in this field. It seems to me that it's incredibly rewarding. It, it is very rewarding. The, the patient population is tremendous. The, the growth that is happening in taking care of these patients in terms of research and technology. And the thing is, certainly when I was an undergrad, I didn't realize all the different ways you could actually be part of this field. You don't necessarily need to be a physician. There are nurses, we have CRNAs, we have perfusionists who run the bypass machine. We have physician assistants who assist us in the operating room, nurse practitioners on the floor. Within cardiology, we have people who take, work in the ICU or work in the catheter, catheterization laboratory or do the echoes, the ultrasounds on the heart, who specialize in the electrical um, mechanics of the heart. And so it's there's so many different opportunities to touch this field. And, you know, this is a cute story. One of the high school students that shadowed me many years ago, and she spent time and she just really loved the patient population. But she, again, it was like being a physician just wasn't a fit for her. That just didn't feel right. And she went through college and she sent me an email and she actually is now a administrator in a congel in the congel heart center at Lurie children's oh. and that was her way of finding an ability to be in this field and still fit with what worked for her in terms of a professional path so it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're gonna be standing in the operating room doing open heart surgeries to you know pursue a career in the same field that i work in um, but it's just having the, the opportunity to experience just really how magical it is to take care of these little kids and give them a second chance at life and Lou, before we let Dr. Romano go, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, I just I just wanted to remind everyone that it's it's fitting that we're talking to Dr. Romano because February is National Heart Month, and there's a lot of activities going around at CS Mott Children's Hospital. And let me just uh, mention our Save a Heart website. It is umsaveaheart.med. .umich.edu, and there's things on there to help support events. Um, every year we create a special heart t-shirt for um, awareness. So um, I just wanted to thank Dr. Romano for everything she does every single day, but especially in February as we recognize these kids and um, you know try to bring awareness so we can really, really help these families and kids live, live really happy lives. And Dr. Romano, thank you for everything you do every day. We really appreciate it. And it was really nice getting to know you and talking to you. And thank you again so much for the invitation. This has been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Women Who Lead. On behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald, thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your week. <music>